episode of Anime Countdown. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but we're back now that we're done with the Decade in Review series. I'm your host, LB, and joining me as always is CT. Hi, guys. We're going to do 2020 today, or maybe 2000, or 2001, right? It's a, it's a year. I don't know what to do if it's not a year we're talking about, a year uh in fact we are actually going to be going back to our old format of counting down our weird and obscure topics we're not going too strange this time though we're going to be doing our favorite studios of all time this time around um uh, before we get into our main list, though, let's go ahead. Let's talk honorable mentions. We've been kind of going back and forth before we started recording on what our lists were going to look like. And CT seems to be having some trouble. So we'll see if he's able to organize it all enough. Do you have <laughs> any honorable mentions that you want to bring up? What? Well, yeah, I mean, my... Uh... What is it? My my troubles will become uh, uh, what when we get into the main list. Uh, that's when it'll become evident what I what I feel like talking about. But uh, just because you didn't lay it out, yes, favorite studios is kind of a normy thing. Uh, we did by default uh, exclude a few studios because Ghibli is too easy, Kyoto Animation is too easy probably certainly the latter would make both of our lists probably the former just because it how large most of those movies loom in uh in all of our experience as uh any kind of an old timer and as a personal consideration i've talked about pa work so much with other things that i'm trying to avoid just doing something about pa works again so uh I don't know if you had any other third studio that you decided to uh, uh, exclude, but uh, that's 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 part of my list. Um, to get into honorable mentions, uh, there's just a couple minor ones. Most of them are going to be sort of wrapped into the concept when we get to my main list, but. Uh, these two are kind of studios that, you know, came and went. One of them uh, went because it went out of business, but for a period of time, it uh, did a whole lot of interesting, and that would be Studio Manglobe. Uh, very, you know, early on, it was involved in productions like Samurai Champloo and Ergo Proxy and Michiko and Hachin. Uh, later on, it would still do a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Samurai Flamenco, World God Only Knows, Five Leaves. Gangsta ended up being its final production. And uh, I enjoyed it and hoped there would be more. And of course, I don't think it performed well enough. And uh, it destroyed the studio, so that seems unlikely. But I enjoyed them as a modern era thing, but I, I have a hard time giving an award to a studio that is dead and the manner in which it went. Uh, and along that same lines, I'm giving an honorable mention to Gynax for just how dominant a role it played between 
well, let's say, you know, 87 wings of Honimise, and I'll give them leeway to get as far out as Die Buster, which I think was their last gasp at being a more unique and branded sort of studio. Uh, but uh, the, the 90s was such a, a period of utter domination and now they're just sort of a pathetic remnant of what they used to be. <laughs> that it, again, it's very hard for me to consider only the former and none of the latter. So I'll uh, I'll give them a uh, a mention here, but uh, they they can't they can't slot in even if you know uh, uh, what is it the magical shopping district Abenobashi is. Uh, you know, one of the greatest comedies of all time or something like that. Even even if I were to uh, uh, to invest that much in uh, in it, it, it's hard for them to uh, state, stake a claim. So did you have any non-listicles? Uh, yeah, and first off, I just want to say... Yeah, I forgot to lay it all out when we first started, so thank you for doing that and jumping in like that. Uh, in terms of my honorable mentions, there are a couple of studios that I really like. I think that they've done some great stuff within the last decade, uh, but there's just other studios that I've had longer relationships with that I feel more strongly about. So that's the reason why these two are ending up on my honorable mentions, despite, you know, having some strong titles that I've really enjoyed. The first one is on my list simply just because they did ask class and that would be studio lurch. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the other one has done some great work. They Their visual style is some of the most unique and beautiful that we see in the industry today, and that would be UFO Table. Uh, but I, like I said, I just couldn't put them on my list because I've had longer relationships with the other studios. So yeah, so those are my honorable mentions. Uh, let's go ahead, let's jump into our primary list though, because I get the feeling that the discussions for these are going to be kind of deep. So we might as well just jump right in while the iron is hot, mm -hmm. to make the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so all right, let's go ahead and start with our main list. What's your number one? Okay. Uh, this is going to, I can, I can feed off it because you seem to uh, imply when you mentioned Studio Lurch that uh, it's hard to put them on a list because you have a longer relationship with, uh, with certain other studios. Uh, and of course, you have studios that... Uh, I was tracking a whole lot of them from founding. So, I mean, if you, if you want to talk about a long relationship, how long has Studio Toei been out? Well, since 1946. Sunrise, <laughs> since 1972. Uh, TMS, Tokyo Movie Shinsha, since 1946. Uh, and what this reflects for me is the kind of thing where you just have a large studio uh, where it, it's had such an 
an enormous impact over a long period of time. But in the end, you know, how many strong projects that you have are memorable for you and how does it reflect on the studio as a whole and on the entirety of it? Uh, so I'm, I'm titling this the large studio problem, and I think no studio exemplifies this quite as much in the modern era as uh, A1. Okay, I have them on my list as well. So okay, we'll so nice that'll be interesting. Talk. We'll have a long talk about them then. Uh, in part, uh, it feels like the obligatory mention because, uh, you know, there's that 27,000-part uh, digi-series on YouTube uh, that's all about, you know, what's what exactly is wrong with A1, and, you know, I get certain parts of it, but it brings it down to the, you know, how do you appreciate uh, uh, a studio? How do you value their works? Do they need an identity, quote unquote? Uh, because A1, one of the common complaints is, well, there's no recognizable styles or creators necessarily you're left judging projects bit by bit and if you have a studio that produces multiple shows every core for years on end it will almost certainly throw a lot of stuff that you like or love but it's also going to have you know the the adage 90 percent of everything is crap well, <laughs> especially for the large, larger studios, uh, you know, how do you judge this kind of thing? Uh, going back to a, a studio, you know, I mentioned Sunrise before, and because I'm not a big mecha head, they don't have a lot that speaks to me. But we covered Outlaw Star earlier and Escaflone earlier. They did, you know, tiny little shows uh, like Cowboy Bebop. Uh, so they've they've had these huge things that are that some of them are you know monumental some of them uh you know are interesting they did planetus which you wouldn't really think about uh if you go to a studio you know like like dean which got its start in 1975 is your age because they did like you're a rumiko takahashi fan and they they uh stuck their teeth into Urusei Atsura and Mai Sunakoku and Ranma at the beginning? Uh, are you driven by Konosuba or Rakugo later? They don't feel like they have connective tissue, and, it, and it's really how do you judge projects like that? And when, uh, you know, one, one of the comments that I thought uh, Digi tossed out that annoyed the the piss out of me was saying that uh, you know ha hating everything A one did since uh, Sound of the Sky, and I'm like yeah I can I can think of one or two other great things for me. I mean most of the things I think that uh, affected me lately. Obviously we did Black Butler. We're about to do Space Brothers. Uh, Many really good shows even have their own un unique identities, uh, or at least styles. Uh, Erased and Perfect Insider are good examples of something with a 
a fairly unique identity and not just uh, Kirito make same face uh, uh, isekai bash for for ten seasons or whatever it's supposed to be. Uh, when you have uh, Anohana coming out of a studio and Shinsekai and Silver Spoon, there you know there are great projects in the middle of it. But yes, it, it's a huge volume. So I guess I'll, I'll stop. I have plenty of other examples to mention, but I guess, you know, in my mind that I'm not sure how many you would have that qualify in your list. But what, how do you filter the big studio problem from, from your perspective? Uh, the way that I handled it is... I took it case by case. I didn't really look at, you know, how many famous directors have they produced. I looked at the individual titles and just kind of thought about, okay, did I enjoy these titles? Did, you know, I didn't need a connective line from one series to another that would tell me, oh, you know, this is the studio that did it. Uh, so, you know, I just kind of went through the lists of their television series and their movies and kind of thought out about, okay, I liked, you know, 10 series from this studio within a decade or, you know, within two decades or whatever the time period was. And I kind of just, you know, pasted out and decided... And that's how I kind of came up with my list of, you know, did they produce series that I really enjoyed and enjoy going back to? So going kind of a level back and just taking a raw count of number of shows and how high they factor on your personal ranking. Yeah, pretty much. Does does that mean that you know, in this case, I don't know how many large studios you might have on your list. Then, do, do you feel like this may have weighted in their favor there? Because if you have a studio that's been around since '86, like JC Staff or '75 from Dean, or even something like Sunrise or or Toei, which could, do you feel like that might uh, weigh in favor? Because even if you don't like most of their stuff or their biggest titles are ones you don't like they still have just from volume alone enough over you know the decades you've been watching anime for it to uh uh, to appear prominently yeah that actually became kind of a big problem with my list is that i do have quite a few large studios on my list uh simply just because the sheer volume that they put out statistically i'm bound to like a lot of their stuff just because of the sheer amount that they're able to produce okay that's that's interesting i i have a lot of examples uh worn out so when you bring bring them up maybe that'll uh uh maybe maybe that'll uh come into effect i'll just mention the other things i mentioned a bunch from a1 but uh what then specifically for you what are the the biggest drivers of a1 specifically for you uh i tried to limit my lists of favorite series from each studio to like 
six or eight i didn't want to be sitting here naming off 10 or 20 series from each studio that i enjoyed so but yeah i mean you brought up a lot of examples already black butler anohana space brothers silver spoon sword art online the only one that is on my list that you didn't bring up is udano print sama there's cherry tama as well that's a good one oh yeah there's like i said there's Wotakoi and Kaguya, my my 2019 must mention. So, yes, and I I think that's I think that's something that points in their favor. I know for some people the lacking of identity might take it down, but uh, A1 really only got a start in 2005, but pretty much right away got into things that uh you know seemingly you know you've you've liked and been very good but more to the point is even while they're tossing out uh your asterisks war <laughs> or your aeromanga senses <laughs> yeah and things that maybe you don't care about uh, i don't know how uh, uh favors on there every year if you have uh you know anywhere between eight and ten productions a year i'm not sure if they've kept up that average in recent years i think there was obviously going to be a a bunch of covid slowdown and other stuff going on but uh i think that at, at least once a year they have an extremely strong project get that gets through and a bunch of you know normal strong ones and I think it, you don't go more than two years without there having been something that, uh, you know, was was simply a, a critical headliner. So, uh, yeah, or... and you also have to keep in mind that they're connected to Anaplex, which means that yeah. they're going to be the first choice for a lot of these big name tentpole projects. You you will certainly get that in. It'd be interesting to do it the the whole everything under the umbrella of sony which now of course is also funimation and crunchyroll is uh it's pretty interesting to think about i know most people don't really consider sony as a a brand that's involved in anime but of course you know they're uh, as far as I know, their A1 is a subsidiary of Anaplex is wholly owned by plenty of other studios are in part. They have tendrils all over the damn place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't think about it. And even then, they're, the players on the PlayStations are, you know, bad. So work on that, Sony. Spend a billion dollars to make your damn streaming platforms the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh okay since that obviously leached one from you i suppose that i'm i need to lead off and go uh to my second mention lead on mcduff okay and considering what this first one was what do you think the second one might be Oh, that's a good question. I don't even know what order you're going to be putting stuff in, but I'm willing to bet 
that you have them on your list. I don't know what order, like I said, you're putting them in, but let's go with Madhouse. The the second one is still the same concept. Let, would you mention, you know, directors or, or auteurs? This This one is leading into the small studio problem. Okay. And by that, I, of course, mean that uh, you know, my favorite movie is Wolf Children, Mamoru Hosoda. Hosoda would eventually go to form Studio Chizu, but Studio Chizu did not do Wolf Children. Uh, I'd have to look it up as to when it got its start. I'll do that quickly. Oh, wait, no, it did, uh, sorry, it did do Wolf Children, but uh, therefore it has three movies under its name, Wolf Children, Boy and the Beast, and Mirai. First two I really liked. Now, Hosoda has a, a larger track record, though. Girls Who Leapt Through Time, uh, Summer Wars, but those were, of course, with other studios. And uh, even an, a number of other uh, uh, immediately identifiable directors, designers, creators, auteurs, you know, they come from other places. They came from larger studios. Uh uh, at a point in time, Miyazaki's track record wouldn't have had too much Ghibli in it. Nausicaa wasn't Ghibli. Uh, that was, in fact, going to be one of my honorable mentions, because uh, that was with Topcraft, <laughs> which did, like, Nausicaa and Macross Do You Remember Love, which are huge, <laughs> but, like, two tiny things. So Topcraft uh, <laughs> was a weird period of time, but let, let's go to Hideaki Anno obviously known for a number of things, but primarily Evangelion, but he was able to take that away from Gainax with, you know, historic issues going on here, but Gainax drove the original one, and then Otto founded Studio Kara, and, uh, uh, what is it, and has been doing the Evangelion movies, and obviously there's a new one coming out right now, but Again, that's almost all that's been done. So how do you judge a studio that's only had one or two things under its plate? Uh, uh, studio Ponach, which was the spinoff from, from Ghibli and did Mary and the Witch's Flower and uh, another new one. Uh, Colorido, which just did uh, Penguin Highway, a very recent one. Um, but I, th I think the emblematic studio, so the one I'm giving specific mention here is Science Saru, because that's when I think that people are, you know, immensely looking at right now. And that's because, uh, uh, what is it? it? It's, it's, you know, Yuasa's home. So mm -hmm. <laughs> night is short, walk on girl, Lou over the wall, ride your wave. Uh, Japan sinks not as much, but Azoken, you know, there's a lot of things that are coming out of Science Saru and that many people are getting uh, excited about. Uh, it kind of launched itself with Ping Pong, the animation, a uh, tiny project that, you know, no one has heard about or liked. Uh, <laughs> Devil Man Cry Baby, which came out of the gate and, and blew everyone uh, up. So they've been doing a lot of exciting things. But they've been doing that for six years. So how do you judge? This is the biggest of the, of the smaller studios, I think. 
uh, in this fashion. You're you're very excited. It's basically a stylistic home. Uh, it's the directorial home of uh, Masaki Yuasa. Uh, it it has a lot of good projects. It has a lot of you know other wacky ones as well. There's some Crayon Shinchan and Adventure Time and Garrow uh, that people you know may not care a whole lot about. But it has a tremendous amount of excitement, and of the big projects, it has a lot of hits. I guess you could probably argue Japan since 2020. I know that one's been very contentious. Uh, but how do you factor something like that? If, say you're the biggest damn Yuasa fan ever. How can you translate that into a studio favorite? There is a studio identity for him now, but... Tatami Galaxy predates that. Kaiba predates that. A lot of other projects that he's on or even continues to be in can still end up in other studios. So how does that ultimately uh, factor in as well? Because you have these weird splits where, you know, and we'll eventually, I assume, get to a favorite director's kind of thing. But you can have a director with an identity and their own boutique studio now, but it was founded too recently. <laughs> so therefore, you might be excited now, but how do you factor their studio in among all of the other studios? Not even long track record, but not having all of their influential stuff and the, the, the stuff that let them split out to their own studio to begin with predates their studio by necessity. So uh, is it just going to be a matter of time? As long as Science Saru remains around for another decade, then it's going to be everyone's favorite in a Ghibli-ish kind of way. That's, uh, that, that became my large studio and small studio problem. That's why there are so many Splinter Studios to mention in the, uh, in the course of it. So uh, I'll pass that over to see what, what you think about it and whether you have anything you think that qualifies uh, on your own list and uh, uh, why it in got terms there. Of, in terms of small studios, I like I mentioned earlier, I have a lot of large studios on my list simply just because you know their works stand out the most prominently. I think the smallest studio that I have on my list isn't even all that small. There's they're moderately sized, I believe, and that would be Studio Silverlink. Okay. So Silverlink is probably one of the best at Moe in the <laughs> industry. They're just really good at it. Uh, Baka and Test is theirs. Non Non Viori is theirs. My Next Life as a Villainess is theirs. Uh, they've done plenty of others as well. Cobra uh, Connect is there. Yeah. So, I mean, they've done plenty of great works over the years, uh, and they stood out specifically for their more, you know, Moe kind of works that I've enjoyed over the years. Um, you know, I could name off a whole, a whole bunch more examples. They've had some down they've had some misses i'm not gonna deny that uh but oh they're still going 
you know, nice and strong to this day. They were their first series was only in 2009, so yeah, well they were founded in 2007, so yeah. they came out with that. Now I yeah. would I would probably challenge your concept. What what did you say the one with the most uh moe? Yeah, I'd say that they're really good at moe. I'm not sure that they're, okay. you know, I'm not going I mean, we, to 100% commit myself to saying that they are the most moe in the world but <laughs> you know they 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 do really good moe works well there's a there's a i'll challenge that with something of course kyoto animation we already immunized yeah, but yeah. uh but there is one that almost made my list that i feel like their reputation is driven by this to the point where when you see something like uh sing yesterday for me you're you're going what what the heck is this the, these characters are full sized, and that would be—I uh, don't know if you have them anywhere, of course—but uh, Doga Kobo. I had a feeling you were going to mention them. No, I don't have them on my list. <laughs> so they—they they have a similar time frame. There—I think they started in uh, 2007 as well, but that was also when they had their first show, and of course, what really dug them in for people was Yuta uh, Yuri. And then uh, you, you had uh, other things like Love Lab, but more specifically lately when you have New Game and Gabriel Dropout and the the Gremlin, uh, <laughs> Helpful Fox Senko-san, the Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle lately, Asteroid in Love. It, feel, it feels like they're uh, uh, Moe girls doing Moe things <laughs> is uh, very much highlighted. Even though what uh, I tend to like out of them are things like uh, Nazaki Kun, and uh, I I enjoyed seeing yesterday for me, but I was a huge manga fan of it before then. So I like some of the other stuff that slips through, but it does does feel like that, especially since we uh, covered Plastic Memories. That does feel like a, a Silver Link challenger, possibly even. Even from your end, but maybe you're not. Uh, maybe you don't follow things like New Game as much. No, I didn't even really check that one out. I don't believe. How dare you! Sorry. <laughs> Engaged so, to the unidentified also has a has a banging. Yeah. yeah, and it also has some banging theme songs. So you banging, can't that. banging theme songs. I think we've wandered around a little bit. Yeah, I think so, but... So was Silverlink officially on your list? Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, so that, that interestingly, is another one of those, uh, because they did uh, Yurikuma Arashi, and that's where, you know, Ikuhara uh, comes from, so that in some ways plants back to what I was saying about the small studio problem, where even if you get someone who's kind of auteurish wandering around, you can't follow them from studio to studio, because certainly, you know, uh, Utena didn't show up here. I don't, I don't remember who did uh, Sarazamai, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Silverlink. So you can have someone that people, you know, fiercely uh, seek out, like Ikuhara, but uh, there's both no studio that you can follow a, a huge trend of and uh, 
no no studio that they are now boutiquing as part of and you can assume this is where i'll go for the future uh did you watch strike the blood i watched some of it i didn't watch all of it yeah i mean it's kind of nonsense but uh it it feels like a an unsilver link in the way you're talking about sort of way whereas mitsuboshi colors feels like a very silver link thing you're talking <laughs> about masamune kun's revenge i've watched that but uh lately it feels like they're doing an awful lot of uh isekai who isn't i suppose there is that <laughs> i think the entirety of 2020 was isekai for them <laughs> <laughs> But but not even, like, unknown ones, either, because uh, Bofudi was a uh, well-known villainist, I think, caught on more than anyone really expected to, Misfit of Demon Academy. Uh, Our Last Crusade or The Rise of a New World, that one I don't know at all. But uh, maybe it's not Isekai. How do I know? <laughs> I feel like it's Isekai, though. I'm not sure. I think I watched like half the first episode of that one. Okay. So, uh, so Silverlink was on your official list then? Yes. Is there anything more that you want to talk about them specifically, or shall I move on to my, uh, my next one, which is an actual studio rather than a concept chat? Yeah, go ahead and jump into your next one. Okay. Now, Technically, everything kind of leads over to it, but uh, this one, it's fairly uh, recent. I'm trying to remember what year. I, th- I think not, not really older than Silverlink or uh, uh, Doga Kobo, so 2007. But I think the way in which it was founded and the auto alternate nature of it is unique uh, and extremely prominent and uh, (laughs) that would be because basically one guy who did video game stuff a lot decided that he was going to make an OVA all by himself uh it landed was appreciated a whole lot uh, more, and he sort of split off from that. And was like, "Hey, let's let's do anime and films." And uh, he, he uh, a little dude uh, called Makoto Shinkai is who I'm referring to, and uh, now they are known as Comics Wave Films. Yeah. So literally everything that Shinkai has ever done that was outside of a video game, to my knowledge has come through basically this self-founded uh, section, which, which was literally in the beginning himself. As far as I know, he just pulled on like some extra help for music work when uh, he kind of had, uh, you know, early, early things done here. And then everything that would come out after, whether it's five centimeters per second or She and Her Cat is the original short and Voices of a Different Star... Uh, you know, you can, you can feel his bones etched (laughs) on basically everything out of this studio. Now, I know that they've done some partnerships recently, which is kind of interesting. Uh, things like Flavors of Youth, 
uh, was a recent one. I did mention it before that I believe was a uh, co-production with the uh, uh, crap. I'm forgetting the the Chinese howlers. Uh, there are some other things that they're involved with. Uh, whether or not anyone notices them is there. So they've expanded a little, but this has always been Shinkai's home, and it's interesting to to see that basically this one, you know, he didn't have a studio uh, that was supporting him as he was growing up anime. He was uh, doing, you know, video game cutscenes and other animation. And then he just kind of went into his own method, his own process, his own studio. And I guess everyone that he's pulled in at this point are, are people that, uh, you know, he likes to work with. And the level of quality that they've gotten to in their film production is just mind blowing. <laughs> Even as far back as five centimeters per second, it was extremely impressive, but the, you know, the digital background compositing and even use of CG here and there in ways that don't make me throw up in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> you, you go back a decade and you're still looking at these things that are like, how were these possibly animated? How, how did you make water more water than water uh, in garden of words? <laughs> it's uh, you can just grab animated uh, gifs of uh, scenes from uh, from him his stuff and still just impress the hell out of people. So I think this one feels like it. The nature of it skates the the balance. It's not quite as small and doesn't have quite as short a time frame as other ones. It is the most auteur you can get because it's. It's all Shinkai, and probably all that he'll ever do is, you know, working with his own team. Uh, they've had tremendous impact, and uh, the ma the majority of their stuff, their their like rating level to number of uh, productions is extremely high. And even something that I feel is a miss, like uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices feels like it it was a miss because he might have been letting uh uh committee voices steer him in a way like you you should people are calling you the next Miyazaki so do a Miyazaki movie and it's like I guess I can do that that's that's <laughs> what that one always feels like to me uh <laughs> it's still not bad it's just not Shinkai anymore that's the only one that doesn't feel like it has Shinkai himself etched uh, on every frame of it, but uh, the rest of them really do. Uh, so I, I got to give this specific one props for that purpose. It fe it feels like it is the exact right, uh, uh, you know, balance number of it to be well. I, uh, I enjoy Shinkai a lot. You know, it's not so small and has so small a track record that I uh, uh, that I can't really invest in it because it just doesn't compare to things with huge number of other productions and uh, and it the way in which it was founded and the way in which it was operated all the time is is just I think fascinating to me so many prop hmm Uh, so, alright, so for my third series, 
not Siri, Studio. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. Uh, so for my third studio, I am going to be going with a studio that way back in my early, you know, otaku days, I didn't pay attention to studios all that much. I didn't really pay attention to who was animating what. I was just watching whatever I could and, you know, just kind of enjoying it and not really paying attention to who created it. That changed with a certain little comedy called Azumanga Dayo, <laughs> which is why I am bringing up uh, the first time I paid attention to a studio that uh was producing anime that i enjoyed and that'd be jc staff yep that was certainly uh that's why <laughs> i think that's why i stopped talking about the big studios because i'm like if i keep mentioning them i'm gonna get <laughs> i'm gonna get to the other one so so yeah so i mean jc staff has been around for what almost 30 years now maybe more than that 86 is when they were yeah. founded. Yeah, so and they've done amazing work since then. They've done Excel Saga, Asmanga Dio, like I mentioned, a little OVA uh, or a little series called Shigo Fumi, which if you've never watched, you should really seek it out. I don't think I know that one. Yeah, it's a really a little side story. It's just, it's a really dark story about a girl who works to deliver the last messages of those who die to someone who's living so yeah it's a really interesting concept hardly anyone has heard of it but it's just really good so i would suggest you seek it out but getting back to my list i mean they did maid sama which i've talked about repeatedly on our podcast pet girl sakura so uh, they did toradora and a certain magical index at the same time no less <laughs> which is mind-boggling to me that they had toradora and magical index premiering within two or three days of each other in 2008 so that's pretty amazing to me true uh i think one of the more impressive things they had was very early in the I guess not early in their uh incorporation they existed since 86 but they really didn't you know you're not, you're not gonna get some weird thing called Wowzer in 88 and then skip you know an, an Australian New Zealand thing and then switch to Metal Fighter Miku in 94 be like, oh, okay. I'm not sure. I, f I guess they were mostly doing, uh, you know, OVAs in the beginning. A few films like uh, Wrath of the Ninja. And they did a bunch of Slayers movies in the beginning. And OVAs, same sort of thing. They did uh, Orgus and uh, Yotadan and uh, Galaxy Fraulein Yuna. Uh, but when they started leaning into TV series... One of their earlier ones was uh, a little Ikuhara jaunt mentioned earlier called uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Yeah, and uh, I think that's probably where they really started to take off. I think certainly it, uh, as far as 
you know, TV series production, it, it caught attention. Uh, shortly after, they co-produced uh, Karekano with Gainax, and that was pretty pretty big for its day. Both of those have really good OPs, so I'll just point that out. Um, of course, uh, you, you didn't mention one of the series that we have uh, Expanding Horizon. Uh, they would do witchcraft works later on, but uh, the... The biggest one for me that's uh, lost to the ether is they did Nodame Cantabile. Mm-hmm. Uh, familiar of Zero, Honey and Clover. Uh, when What year? 2017, when I was mentioning it was the year of the Yashike, they did uh, both Flying Witch and Abanchu. So uh, I guess they're doing a bunch of Danmachi lately. Torador and Golden Time. Bakuman. I guess they did all the shanas. Yeah, so, they did. Uh, it feels like at the moment they're kind of pegged in by the way that people received One Punch Man 2 because they took it over. And it feels kind of, you know, like a, a second string uh, coverage of something that was so, you know, impressive to people back then. Uh, the, the multitude of complaints of you know, the panning shot uh, quotient of Food Wars. <laughs> so uh, that's where, again, you get a lot of series you enjoy, but then you're down to, okay, well, did I like the source material? Was it well animated, well produced? Was this uh, because of the studio that brought the team together? Was it more of a happenstance because they... Uh, simply license this thing and it could be driven by the the quality of the uh source material into the adaptation itself again that that feels like other big studio related questions that uh that you could probably make a whole episode about just that you know which which obviously we talked about in the beginning but it, it feels like you could still chew on this for quite a while oh yeah absolutely so, alright, let's go ahead, let's keep going. Uh, we have two series left each, I believe. Studios, man! They're still studios. Yep, studios, sorry. <laughs> I have no idea what is up with my brain today. Now, one of these, I was pretty sure that I would share with you anyway, and I know that uh, it would definitely make your list because I saw a stray tweet that you made recently. And that's because, you know, they're, they're a long enough studio. I think they were founded in... God, I think they were founded in 75, but it's not like they were doing a whole lot of anime. The anime really started more, you know, turn of this century, so starting in 2000. Uh, and in the beginning, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot going on. Uh, obviously, we did Mahromatic. Uh, already, so we covered kind of the beginning of it. But then when you... I feel like when you started getting to Sayonara Zetsubo-sensei, uh, but most specifically once uh, Bakemonogatari landed, uh, once Madoka Magica landed, you had such an... You, you now had a, a an extremely solid identity to this studio, and amazing visual creativity uh if anyone doesn't know i'm referring to studio shaft uh, yep. <laughs> yeah and you you do not 
necessarily have to have a Shinbo hard on, <laughs> but obviously <laughs> Shinbo is, uh, you know, a, a very much a driving factor in everything that goes through the studio now. I don't know how much to attribute to Shinbo at the pure helm or as a driving artistic one or just uh, as a steering thing, but uh, I think, you know, that as large as Monogatari looms and Madoka Magica loomed, I, I think that possibly the height of their uh, creativity and uh, artistic abilities is really shown off in uh, Sangatsu no Lion. Uh, I, it, it's weird to have a main character whose mental state you're basically incorporating visually more than the words being said or the tone of voice used by the voice actor because the the mental turmoil that Ray goes through, I think, is captured artistically in a way that uh, is rather unmatched by uh, by most other studios. And even when you have other things like uh, Nizagoy, you still can see very much the uh, the striking visual elements that uh, they pull into you know what's a kind of normie harem bait sort of series, you're still seeing what Shaft brings to the project. Uh, so even if I don't really care for, <laughs> for the source, I'm still like, you know what? I still want more of the anime because I want to see what Shaft does with it. Uh, and it it doesn't feel like there are too many studios that, um, what is it, that uh, do that as long or as well as Shaft has done. Yeah, I mean, Shaft, like I, like you figured correctly, they are on my list. I was going to bring them up next anyway. Uh, Shaft is, if JC Staff was the studio that made me start paying attention to, you know, what studios were producing which series shaft was the first studio that made me actively seek out what a studio was doing so that i could follow what they were doing over the years uh it started uh i've had you know i had watched uh Romantic at some at some point but i believe the first series that i really watched from Shaft and ma that made me sit up and take notice was Bakemonogatari. Sure. Uh, once I started watching that, I was really dialed in on Studio Shaft and I was paying attention to what they were doing specifically. I was paying attention to what Shimbo was doing specifically. Uh, I was just very dialed in to this studio simply because of the amazing visuals that they were presenting me with at the time, which was so unlike anything that I had seen. Uh, and I think I would have to say that the, the series that encapsulates Shaft's style the best would probably be Madoka. Uh, I 
I hear what you're saying about uh, March comes in like a lion that has some amazing visuals as well. Nisikoi had some amazing visuals and backgrounds in some of the quiet scenes, but Madoka just really sums up Shaft to me. If, if someone were to ask me, you know, what is the most representative work of this studio, I would point to Madoka. Certainly it has a, a, a sort of a purity and concentration to it, as well as, you know, just being such a well-crafted single core experience. Uh, the the entirety of it, the, the mystery and the strangeness of it hangs on uh, visual design and sound design uh, more than almost anything else. So, yes, it, it's easy to get lost in uh, Madoka and even you know folks who aren't into that kind of show will probably get swept away in something like uh, Madoka Magica that they won't necessarily grok uh, by way of your Monogatari's or Nisekoi's uh, Sangatsu no Lion kind of depends on uh, <laughs> on the individual so I can't really argue with that <laughs> I know that they are also the home of your favorite most talked about series Sasami-san Gun Baranai oh yes absolutely <laughs> yes how can I forget about that uh, I re- you know what I really wish we could get from Shaft though it feels like it's been too long uh, they did And Yet the Town Moves and Arakawa Under the Bridge all back in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to have uh, another comedy from them. I feel like they could pick a uh, a specific project that fits their quirks and deliver that. It's been a decade since I feel like we've gotten a good, you know, focused comedy from them. So, uh I think they should do that over your assault Willy bouquets and your well. I mean, they are your strike witches spinoffs. That is not a studio shaft. (laughs) Well, they are going to be doing Pretty Boy Detective Club. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't know how much of a comedy that is. That's another Nisi Oishin series. So I see. Well. Do they have all of the Isin stuff, or I guess I think not. I think so. I don't know if it's like an official partnership, but I don't think Nisi has done any works that weren't animated by Shaft. Not at least not uh, nothing off the top of my head. I might be wrong about that. They did Narigato. Yeah, they did. Did they? They they uh, did not do Katana Guitar. We talk about that earlier that was studio fox or white fox rather but yeah that that's one of those interesting things to think about and that will come in into play a little bit uh in my next one is you tend to think about you know uh, uh who has locked up which directors and you don't think about quite as much who is sort of the studio that does works by author or you know novelist the uh the source do they constantly look towards one studio for adapting all of their works and that's uh that's an 
an identity of another sort. So, so all right, we got one series left. What's your last studio left? <laughs> there you go. There yeah. You go. What's your last studio? Okay. So I mentioned before, uh, you know, the uh, large studio problem. And I suppose a studio that, you know, began in 72 and had an appreciable size would fall under this but i feel like this one managed to have much more of an identity for itself not necessarily specifically visually but certainly from the founders it did have some of that uh you did mention it before uh it's somewhat of a uh what is it somewhat of a cheat because i'm going to talk a little bit about mappa as well but uh, i'm referring to studio madhouse Okay, yeah, that was going to be my last one as well. Oh, okay, well then. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about you because you started, uh, you know, definitely ahead of me both in years, but I think also in the manner in which you could get anime and and watch it and probably the way that you were apt to. But Madhouse is one of those that, uh, you know, feels like they didn't have a whole lot of impact necessarily on the television side, which is usually where people get brought in. But Madhouse felt like the driving OVA and movie aesthetic of, uh, you know, the, the, the mid to late 80s uh, and any number of things specifically because they were largely the home of uh, one of their founding uh, guys, Kawajiri, Yoshiaka Kawajiri, he of Wicked City and Demon Shinjuku, Demon City Shinjuku, and other things. Uh, they did, uh, of course, Lotus War, which loomed tremendously large at the time. Uh, friggin' Ninja Scroll. <laughs> I mean... You, you couldn't really go to any blockbuster video. <laughs> Kids, once upon a time, there is a chain of stores, which like, okay, use Google. Uh, <laughs> but it feels like, I don't know, 50% of the section that they would have had devoted to uh, anime back there was like madhouse driven stuff. Uh, it was so huge for me at the time. Uh, and then, of course, you always had larger projects uh, in the middle. Uh, uh, you know, Trigun, uh, Nana, they would do Black Lagoon, we covered. They would do Death Note later. Uh, for me specifically, and I think you not so much, but I need to fix this for you. They became, of course, for me, like... They had uh, they were founded by uh, folks like uh, Dezaki and Rintaro and Kawajiri uh, from the production side by Masaru Maruyama, and that's his connection will lead into Mappa. But uh, you know the the one auteur creator that you can feel like had a, a real driving identity within Madhouse was Satoshi Kon, uh, and all of his stuff went there, including you know Paranoia Agent. Uh, so for me, I feel like Madhouse is one of those big studios that not throughout their entire production 
and not because, let's say, Toei you think about because of Dragon Ball. <laughs> it's like, oh, Toei, they, they do Dragon Ball, right? They do other things, too. But <laughs> uh, Madhouse feels like there are certain eras which they were driven so hard by particular movies and styles and creators uh, hard enough that I feel like they had an identity within a large studio that was much bigger than in other large studios. That's that's kind of my impression. And in the meanwhile, they just have so many other things that were big uh, for me as well later. And uh, when Masaru Mariyama would break off and form Studio Mappa, that became a recent studio. That's only as of 2011. And Mariyama himself would leave in 2016. But they started with Kids on the Slope <laughs> and Terror and Resonance and Yuri on Ice. And you have to wonder, you know, what what was brought in by Mariyama and simply the the projects he could bring to a studio. Uh, it feels like it didn't necessarily cost Madhouse. I feel like most people think it has at this point, but it's questionable. I've gotten in a few, you know, Reddit arguments about that. But uh, it, it, there is just such a large, you know, sum of work through Madhouse through all of the years that uh, I think is just immensely strong. And in the meanwhile, it had, you know, enough identity that I feel like I identify with the studio of an age, of a type, of an author, much harder than your, your deans or your JC staffs or your other ones where I'm plucking things out of the sum total of, you know, a hundred possible options, I pick out the 10 that I love and I'm like, I love these 10 more. So Madhouse is just huge for me in general. And uh, just to leave it off, I think they are still, well, not Madhouse still, but Mariyama still. <laughs> it was mostly Madhouse. There's still the place to, when you want anything by Naoki Urasawa, you went to Madhouse. So you know, Yawara and Monster, Master Keaton, uh, I guess the 20th Century Boys, or, or any of those kinds of things that showed up. And Pluto will be coming up, but that's going to Studio M2, the place that Mariyama founded after MAPA. It hasn't done enough to be worth mentioning, really, only Onihei so far. But depending on how well Pluto does, maybe they'll... Uh, Maybe they'll pick up. So my question for you regarding Madhouse is... I put Madhouse on my list sort of begrudgingly because <laughs> as much as I love their works, uh, I mean, they did Chihai Furu, they did My Love Story, they've done all sorts of other good stuff, Gunslinger Girl, Hana Yamada, Death Parade. But at the same time, I felt I feel bad for praising them because they're a known black company. And I'm curious how you feel about that is how do you divide knowing that, yeah, they're producing some amazing work, but they're also a known company that works their animators to, you know, exhaustion with no paid overtime. That, well, I, I feel like that's one way in which the, uh, the, immunity that we gave Kyoto Animation. It, it feels almost like 
Kyoani is one of those contrast areas uh, that that does it because now we're hitting the problem with all anime production in Japan from kind of basically every studio you can think of. And if you haven't heard something, that's probably just because it's only 80% as bad as that really bad case. Uh, Or it's small enough to not notice. I don't know how to parse this because I wish Japan would do half the productions and concentrate on the good ones and pay everyone living comfortable wages. I, it's real effed up. (laughs) And I don't want to just excuse things by saying that, well, that's the way it works, but I don't have any solutions for this. Uh, I feel like uh, of studios that it, I, I know that PA Works has had similar horror stories from it. I love PA Works. I don't know how, you know, prominent it is. And I don't know how prominent it is from one studio to another. And I don't really have any way to compare this. So it it is really frustrating. I don't know what, you know, at what time did Madhouse have this kind of thing? Uh, uh- I I could bring up the report. Is, it, is this an, well? I mean, I mean, was this a seventies and an eighties kind of thing, or is it a two thousands and a twenty tens thing? And it's more of a twenty tens thing. It's a recent thing that the revelations have started to come out about Madhouse specifically. Yeah, and that's where I I don't really know. How do you uh, uh, what is it you? You have these studios like Toei that does, you know, Dragon Ball and One Piece and uh, Digimon, and they do these things that are just constant and weekly. And I know they have shoestring budgets. I don't know what they're <laughs> what they're getting away with. I know that their animation quality suffers, and I can only imagine it's because they're whipping people as many people as they can, as hard as they can, as fast as they can, as cheap as they can. <laughs> Uh, I may be wrong, but I I don't know how to parse this. So I feel like the the black marks against Madhouse specifically in many ways are because we just don't have enough information on all of the studios out there. And it would be it would be lovely if we could uh, have a, a full accounting for everyone and then be able to judge them all, uh, uh, you know, apart from each other. But, uh, I mean, technically Madhouse is not necessarily going to be my preferred amazing great studio uh, of the year, nor necessarily uh, MAPA recently. I think they do good projects. I'm not going to not watch Chihaya Fur when season four comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I if they have more Odemonogatari, I'm not going to not watch that. And sure, I can blame myself for it, but I, I still eat meat. And factory farming is literally the worst. We are we are an abysmal story of uh, of uh, bad ideas. Uh, we we foolish monkeys. So I. <clears throat> I don't know how to uh, parse it all 
And for me, the strongest push with Madhouse would be prior to this coming out anyway. So in the same way that, you know, Ghibli is not my favorite studio anymore as of, you know, the last decade that they haven't produced stuff that made me really take up and uh, uh, light me on fire. It's because from the the people and the projects between the late 80s and, uh, uh, you know, the the late 2000s, it, it was dominant. <laughs> you just can't mm. talk about it. So I'm, I'm obviously willing to give place and time for it. So uh, I, we're not the Oscars of uh, voting for our favorite studios. So uh, I feel like this is a consideration that I know too little about to factor in anyway. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunately just going to be one of those things where I just got to go with, you know, what, what the works, uh, over time have meant to me. That makes sense. I was just curious what your opinion on that was. And you know me to be not opinionated at all. So yes, (laughs) I think we should uh, force every company in the world to uh, report every scrap of, uh, you know, revenue that they make and uh, uh, employees' wages and hours. And uh, there's got to be a better way to do it, but uh, we ain't we ain't getting there fast. That's for sure. So, all right, let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up on that note, that very happy note, of course. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that wasn't very pleasing. Uh, did, were, were there any other Madhouse ones from either far back or, or mid back that you uh, meant to bring up but uh, did not? Uh, God. Uh, like, uh, I, mean, I forget if we yeah. mentioned Death Parade. We did mention Death yeah, Parade. Yeah, I, m- I mentioned Death Parade. Uh, Hana Yamada, which I love. Mm. Devil May Cry is not a good series, but it <laughs> has close-range combat with rocket launchers. So, you know, what the hell? I gave uh, Alderman on the Sky a-, a mention before. They did Beck and Nana, which are, I mean, if you're going to go into some kind of music uh, uh drama series those are are you know immense oh no 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 if you're gonna bring up music series from madhouse then you have to talk about soccer wars in 2000 that uh did not occur to me yeah <laughs> No, if you're going to talk about musical series, I have a I have a very good friend who would be most upset with us if we did not at least mm. give a passing mention to Soccer Wars. I I'm looking at uh, DNA squared on this list as well. I'm like, ah, that's such a such a point in time uh OVA series. I almost feel like what we need to do is uh start doing these things but not have favorite directors but uh, or favorite studios but like favorite ops from series done by the by a single studio (laughs) (laughs) and then we have to rank the studios by op quality order so there we go once once we figure out how to start putting those op uh, podcasts together yeah 
So, alright, let's go ahead, let's wrap it up on that note. Thank you, CT, for joining me for another fun discussion. It's been great. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of you for listening to us ramble on for the last hour. Always remember that if you want to be among the first to listen to these podcasts, please become a subscriber to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash otaku review where they go live for a week before anybody else gets to hear them if you'd also like to give us a like share and subscribe that's always very much appreciated and until we talk to you again have a great night everybody good night everybody